With all due respect to Gary, I've got to tell you that I don't enjoy going to Walmart. In fact, the only bright spot about going to Walmart is you might get to visit with Gary at the door as you come or go. I try to avoid Walmart as much as I can, but every so often when we're out, uh, Cindy will say, I just got to run into Walmart. I got to get something, you know. Well, of course, if you're going to go to Walmart, you have to park a half a mile from the door. And then when you get inside, you've got to walk another half mile to find the things that you want. And so what I usually do is I, I, I'll let Cindy off at the door, you know, and then I'll cruise around to a likely spot where I can sit and wait and watch for her to come back out, right? So it makes it a little less painful that way. So that's what I typically do if Cindy says she just must run into the Walmart for something. Well, when you're doing that at the Walmart, you have an excellent opportunity to do some people watching, right? I'm watching for her to come back out there, so I'm seeing everybody who's coming and going from the Walmart. I think Gary would confirm my conclusions. Upon watching people come and go from the Walmart, I've concluded at least two things. One of them is there are not a lot of pretty people in this world. And I, I, I imagine you'd agree with me. And secondly... Those people don't know how to dress properly. Especially in the warmer months of the year, you see all manner of undress at the Walmart store. Uh, of course, it's not limited to Walmart. It's everywhere you go. People just don't know how to dress appropriately. I want to talk some about that this morning, about the general subject of modesty, because it is important, and as the people of God, we need to be constantly reminded to dress properly but I wanted to, to talk about that in the broader context of the, of the Scripture that Timothy read for us earlier from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you'll turn your Bibles there, we're going to spend all of our time in that text this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. Before we get into that study, let me stop here for a minute to thank everyone for being present. I think Larry... Uh, mentioned very early in our gathering this morning what a beautiful day we have. It's a fall day. In fact, if the weather forecast is true, next Sunday may truly be a fall-type day as cooler weather finally arrives in Middle Tennessee. But we have a, a great blessing to be able to be together, uh, to worship God. We hope that He is glorified by all that we do this morning. We certainly hope that all of us are built up, edified in the most holy faith. We have visitors with us this morning. We're so grateful for your presence. We want you to know that, and we hope you'll come back every time you have a chance to be with us at College U. Let's talk about the idea of living pure, moral lives, including such things as dressing modestly and so forth, from this text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning verse 3. Our approach to this is that we're just going to take this text apart, phrase by phrase, to see what we can learn from it. The passage starts out by saying it is God's will that you should be sanctified. It's God's will. It's what he wants. I want you to think about that for a minute. When you find out what someone wants, and it's someone that you really love and care for, when you find out what someone wants, then the natural reaction is, what, is, is we should desire to do that. For instance, a number of years ago when we lived in Knoxville, we had a brother in the church there who was in really bad health. And he was confined to a wheelchair. I know Cindy and, and uh, the boys will remember Brother Bill Davenport. Uh, the boys were benefited by being a friend of Bill because he often had them accompany him to the UT football games. He was a big UT football fan, and he had season tickets, but because he was in a wheelchair, he'd often get one of the boys to go with him to help him in and out of the stadium. 
But we all just really loved Bill, and Bill, Bill would do his very best. Although he had lots of physical infirmities, he just rarely missed church services. He would go above and beyond measure to be able to be with the saints when they assembled for worship. But his health was getting worse, and he had had several episodes in the hospital, and he was in the hospital again. Turns out this would be his last day in the hospital, and he wouldn't make it. He was really bad health. And I went to see him one afternoon, and as I was sitting there talking to him, I said, Bill, is there anything you need? Is there anything you want? Anything I can do for you? And he thought for just a minute, he said, you know, I've sort of been craving a taco from Taco Bell. You know what I said to him? You wait right there. Of course, he went, you wait right there, I'll be right back. I knew where a Taco Bell was not far away, and I, there was no way Bill was going to tell me I'm craving a taco from Taco Bell, and I wouldn't go get him one. There's no way anybody would do that. We loved Bill. And when he said what he wanted, I was going to do my very best. Well, it was a simple thing. I was doing my best to satisfy that desire. Now, I got him one of those Taco Supremes or something like that. You know, he just took a bite or two. That's all he could get down. But, again, the concept was when I found out that's what he wanted, Man, I was going to do it, right? That's the natural reaction. We all would be that way. Well, here, we've got an expression of what God's desire is. This is what God wants. Well, think about God. He's done everything for us. There's nobody who could possibly love us more completely and absolutely than God loves us. And so here's someone who loves us, and he's saying, this is what I really want. Why would we not do our very best to fulfill it? Now, notice what he wants is for us to be sanctified. Sanctified. Do you understand that word sanctified? The word literally means to set apart or dedicate to a special purpose. Um, sometimes our denominational friends talk about a room, such as the one that we're assembled in here this morning, as the sanctuary. Now, we don't use that terminology typically because it's sort of denominational in its connotations, suggesting maybe that this is a, a holy temple like the temple of the Old Testament was, and we don't think that's the case. So we usually don't use the word sanctified, but it's actually, or sanctuary rather, but it's actually not a bad word in the sense that this place is set apart for a special purpose. That's, that word sanctuary comes from this same root of this word sanctified, set apart, devoted to a special purpose. I think I probably told you before, I've got in my garage uh, a, a piece of something that I use for just one purpose. Actually, what it is, it's, a, it's the crisper drawer out of an old refrigerator that we had years and years and years ago. The refrigerator is long since gone. But when we got rid of the refrigerator, I saved that metal pan, that crisper drawer, out of the bottom of that refrigerator. And for 30 years or more, probably a lot more. I use that pan to drain my oil in when I change the oil in my car. That's the only thing it's used for. And you could say that that's a sanctified oil pan. That is, it's set apart for that special purpose. After all these years, you wouldn't want to use it for any other purpose, I guarantee you. But the idea of that is it's not an exclusively religious word. It's just a word which means set apart, dedicated or devoted to a special purpose. Well, God, it's God's will, it's His deep desire that we be set apart, specially devoted, dedicated to His service. And again, I just want to challenge you. If you know that this is God's will, will you not strive to fulfill it? Won't you work hard to satisfy what He really wants? I hope that we can have that mindset. 
The passage goes on to say that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, this is a plain statement, I think, easily understood. And although our society is given over to sexual immorality of all different kinds, avoiding that sexual immorality is one of the ways that we show we are sanctified people. This is one of the ways that we show that we're set apart for God by keeping ourselves pure from sexual immorality. Now, that should go without saying, but how many of us could recount episodes and incidences and people that we know who have fallen into this sin? Uh, I could provide you with a rather lengthy list of elders and preachers and deacons, and you all know a host of others who were faithful Christians, but they have fallen into this sin of sexual immorality. That's a failure. It's a failure to do the will of God, and it's a failure to be sanctified when we do that. By keeping ourselves pure sexually, we are showing ourselves to be sanctified in God's service. The next phrase says that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. There are several parts of that expression that I want to emphasize in your thinking. The first of them is that this is a thing that needs to be learned that each of you should learn to do these things. Being sanctified, living like God wants us to live, is something that we have to learn to do. It doesn't come by just following the natural uh, desires and inclinations of the heart. You have to learn to be sanctified, to control your body the way that God wants. You have to work at it. You have to put forth effort. Can you remember back when you were in grade school? Can you remember... I think it was third grade, Mrs. Shirk's class. We learned the multiplication tables. Oh, the multiplication tables. We went over those day after day after day. What was the three times? We had to do the three times. We spent a whole week or more on the three times table. Three times six is 18. Three times eight is 24. That was a long time ago when I was in Mrs. Shirk's third grade class, but I've never forgotten those things because we learned them. We drilled them. We worked at making these a part of our thinking. I don't know if young people these days are are getting that. They're using their calculators. And uh, I've been in some stores and the cashier can't even figure out the change due back unless the register tells her. People are becoming dependent upon those electronic devices. But back in the day, we had to learn the multiplication tables. That's what we're talking about here. You will not be the kind of person God wants you to be just accidentally, just going about your natural way of living. You have to learn to be the person that God wants you to be. You have to work at it and put forth the effort. Notice you have to learn to control yourself. You know, when you hear the expression that something went out of control, you don't even have to know what that was to know that that's probably describing something bad. It went out of control. What was it? Well, that was a car. A car out of control. That's a horrible thing, right? Or you could say that, that that child is out of control. That's bad too, right? That's very bad, right? Things that are not under control are bad. We need to be in control. It's God's will that we learn to control ourselves. Now, think for just a minute about the old excuse that some people make. They they engage in sinful activity. They do things that are not right. And someone says, well, I just couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. Well, this says that you can, right? This says that you need to learn to control yourself. You can help yourself if you will, but you have to put forth the effort. Notice, learn to control your own body. 
Learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable. Some folks have mistakenly come to the idea that God doesn't care what we do with our bodies as long as we are sincere in our heart. That God's not concerned about our outward actions. He's just concerned with what goes on in our mind and in our soul. That He's only looking at the inner man. He's not looking at the outer man. That's not true. That's not true, right? God wants us to control our body. This is telling us that what we do with our body is important and that God is observing that. Notice, in a way that is holy and honorable. Learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. The word holy is a synonym for the word we were talking about earlier. Holy is a synonym for sanctified. And it means the same thing, set apart or dedicated to a special purpose. So when you learn to control your body, you are showing that you are a sanctified person. There are far too many people who claim one thing, but they show something else with their body. They claim that they're following the Lord, but with their body they show they are not holy. They are not sanctified. Concentrate on the word honorable for a minute. Learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable. I can still picture my grandmother when she went to church services on Sunday morning. My grandmother was from that generation who believed the woman really wasn't properly dressed unless she had a hat on. And so she always wore a hat to church services. I can remember one in particular. I'm sure Cindy can remember it too. She had a big old white hat. I mean, it was as big as a cowboy's 10-gallon hat on top. It stuck way up above her hair. And it had a, had a feather that stuck at the top of it. But I can remember my grandmother wearing that hat to church service. Because why? Well, because that was the honorable thing to do. Try to imagine your grandmother and how she used to dress. And then try to imagine... Because your grandmother, I mean, people of that generation were honorable, right? But then try to imagine your grandmother in a, in a split skirt, a, a bare back, a, a plunging neckline. No way. There's no way that my grandmother would have dressed that way and yours either. Why? Because they understood something about being honorable, right? Now, that's probably enough said, but we could summarize by saying if your grandmother wouldn't wear it, because it wasn't honorable, you probably shouldn't wear it either. And we're not talking about style. We know that styles change. What we're really talking about here is inherent modesty. Whether you have a modesty of heart. It's about being honorable. That's what Paul is talking about here. Learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable. He goes on to say, Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. So he contrasts, controlling your body in holy and honorable ways with what the heathen people do. Now, please understand the word heathen there. You know, sometimes we we in the South express that as heathens, what the heathens do. We we actually mean it as a put-down or almost an insult, but that's not the way the word's used here. Heathen just meant those who are not believers, right? The people who are not believers in God and who are not seeking to do His will, they live a certain way. They live in passionate lust because they do not know God. Their motivation is passionate lust. And so, because they don't know God, then they have not learned to control their bodies in holy and honorable ways. They are ruled by passionate lust. What is their motivation? Our motivation is supposed to be we love God. We want to do His will. The people of the world, their motivation is their own passionate lust. That's what this passage is saying, and I think if we, 
consider it, we realize that this is true. That's why as Christians, we must be different from the world. We have a whole different set of priorities, a whole different set of values. We're trying to please God. People of the world are trying to satisfy their own passionate lusts. That's just as simple as it gets. Right here, we can stop and talk a little bit more about the way people dress. And in the warm weather months, of course, those are are winding down, but in the warm weather months, but also even in colder weather, we see all sorts of immodest dress. Swimming suits and halters and tank tops and shorts and bare midriffs. And you understand what I'm talking about. You, you understand very well the concept I'm describing. Why do worldly people dress that way? Why do they dress that way? Well, the answer is because they are ruled by passionate lust. Their purposes is to satisfy their own passionate lust. That's why they dress that way. I have in my file here an article from the New York Times and it quotes a fashion designer well-known, apparently, by the name of James Laver. And here's what this guy... Now, he's not speaking from a religious perspective. He's speaking from just a worldly point of view. He says, clothes never... Uh, are never... Get, let me start over. Clothes are never a frivolity. They always mean something. Okay, this is a fashion director. He says the clothes you wear mean something. He goes on to say, dress is always code particularly for teenagers eager to telegraph their evolving identities. You get that? Did you get that? This is a, a fashion designer. And he's speaking from the perspective of, of a man of this world. And he's saying, people dress the way they do because they want to telegraph a message. They want people to know something about them. What do the unbelievers do? They dress the way they do because they're telegraphing that they are satisfying their own passionate lusts. They don't dress that way because they want people to think they're a godly individual, right? They're not interested in conveying the message. They're not trying to telegraph the, the, the idea, I'm a Christian and I serve God. That's not what they're doing, right? They are ruled by their passionate lust. Now, if that's the case, why should we dress like they dress? Why should we act like they act? Why should we go the places they go, talk like they talk? We've got a whole different set of values, or at least we're supposed to. Right? We're actually giving a, 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 a sorry, mixed message if we allow the fashion trends and the societal trends influence us to be like the world. We're supposed to be serving God. We're supposed to be trying to do His will. We've got a different set of values and we need to display it. He goes on to say that, in, and that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. I think in the context of this passage, when he talks about wronging his brother, it's linked to the idea of sexual immorality and probably has in some other versions convey the idea, the idea is that of taking another man's wife and committing adultery. That would be the wronging of his brother that's under consideration in this phrase. But I want to apply this in a more general way. In the whole matter of living as sanctified persons, we should take into consideration the possibility that we could wrong our brother, that we could harm him in some way. So here, I think what the Apostle is doing is giving us a second way of looking at this whole business of living pure lives. First and most importantly, we live pure lives because it is the will of God. Right? But as a second reason why we should live right, 
because we've got to take our brethren into consideration. We don't want to do anything to wrong them. You see that? As I think about how I act and how I dress and where I go and what I do, how I talk, I should be thinking about all of you. I should be thinking that I don't want to do anything that would serve as a discouragement to you, that would harm you, that would hurt you spiritually. And so I need to take that in consideration. I'm sad to say that I think that there are a lot of Christians who don't ever think that way. I don't care what you think. It's my business. I'll do as I please. No, it's not. We are all together in this. And, and since we are together, I've got to think about what I do and how it might impact you. I don't want to be a negative influence in your life. I'll tell you something. You need to be thinking about that for me too. We all need to be thinking about one another that way. While we're talking about that, let me point out to you that we've got to be real careful about a double standard here. Applying a double standard. It's a pretty Sunday afternoon. We're going to go for a drive out in the country. I just decided we'll just head down Pulaski Highway down there, down Pulaski Highway, South Town, down there beyond Shoney's, you know. Heading out to, You know, Arthur lives out this way. And Arthur's house is coming up just up here on the right as you're going south. Arthur's house is over there on the right as we're heading south on Pulaski Highway. And he's just right over this next ride. Right up there. What? Right there's where Arthur lives, but I can't believe my eyes. There's Arthur out in his yard mowing his grass. But what's scary is, Arthur's got his shirt off, and he's wearing shorts, and he's mowing his grass right out there in public. Can you picture that? Someone says, please, no, I don't want to picture that. What would you think? An elder in the church, and he's out there mowing his grass with his shirt off and in shorts. I'm telling you what, that's just not right. I'm telling you, that is not right. You agree with me? Elder, uh, Elder Arthur Haynes has no business out there with his shirt off and in his shorts mowing his grass. It's just not right. But you know what? There are some who would criticize him for doing that who do it themselves. And that's an unworkable double standard. That just doesn't work. You can't do that. All of us have to consider that what we do has the potential to influence our brethren for good or bad. And we should be careful to not wrong our brethren as we're deciding how we're going to live our lives. Pretty easy, right? We've got to make application of that notion. The apostle goes on to say, The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. I think this is maybe one of the easiest expressions in this whole passage to understand. And it sort of sounds to me like a parent talking to a child. I already told you, now I already warned you about that. And that's very much the tone that Paul is using here. He's saying the Lord will punish men for such sin. I've already told you that. So don't be surprised in the judgment day when God punishes some, maybe punishes very many, because they didn't live the holy, sanctified lives that God wanted for them. They were not controlling their bodies in holy and honorable ways. They were not avoiding the sins of the world. Don't be surprised. We have been adequately warned. He says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. I want to tell you something that I believe is absolutely true. If you don't get this, 
that we're talking about this morning, if you don't get this, then I believe that you're just missing the whole thing. You're just missing the whole point. God did not call us, by His gospel, to live just like everybody else lives. God did not call us to be like the people of the world around us. He did not call us for that purpose. And if you don't understand that, then you've just missed it all. God didn't call us to live like they live. He called us to live a holy life. If we can't get that, then we're just wasting our time. We have got to understand that we will necessarily be different than the world around us because God called us to be different. He called us to live a holy life. And we've got to be willing to do that. We've got to be willing to pay that price, to bear that sacrifice, to carry that burden, to live a holy life. If you don't get that, then you've just missed everything, right? Finally, the apostle says, Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. I think the apostle Paul here was aware of what most preachers and teachers are aware of, and that is that when you teach hard things, there are some people who want to rebel against that. There are some people, for instance, if we talked about the subject of modesty, and we often do because it's necessary, there are some people who will say, that's just the preacher. That's just, he's an old fuddy-duddy. You know, he's he's a real prude. He just doesn't understand how things are, you know. And we can just kind of ignore that. That's what the preacher says, but I just choose not to accept that. I think the Apostle Paul was anticipating that some people, when he, when he conveyed to them a, a very strict message here, I think Paul was aware of the fact some people say, ah, it's just Paul. Yeah, it's just Paul. It's just, what, what, what would you expect from the Apostle Paul anyway? I don't care. I'm, I, I'm going to ignore that. I think people do that with preachers and teachers today. Well, I'll tell you something. Notice what Paul says. He who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God. If you won't accept the truths of God's Word in specifically in regards to living pure moral lives, you're not rejecting the preacher. You're rejecting God. If you don't live the way that the Scriptures demand us to live as sanctified people. The preacher is not your judge. I'm not your judge. But God is your judge. You don't have to please the preacher, but you have to please God because He is the one who will ultimately judge you. I believe this important passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 gives us some real foundations for determining how we should live and specifically how we need to keep ourselves pure in the way we conduct ourselves and the way we dress and so forth. Don't reject God. Accept His counsel and live that way. Will you live this holy, sanctified life that God wants? Now again, I want to urge you to think about that. This is what God wants. God the Creator. God, the one who loves you more than you're even able to comprehend. God wants this from you. Will you supply Him that will? Will you do what He desires? Think seriously about that. Our message primarily today has been addressed to those who are already Christians in the way that we should be living. So let me speak to those first, those who are already Christians. If you realize that your life has not been this sanctified type that God desires, then we beg you to turn away from that. Repent. Pray God for forgiveness. Live anew to serve Him. If you need our prayers, we'd be glad to pray with you and for you. If you're not a Christian yet, this still needs to motivate you. The God of heaven who created everything, the God of heaven who loves you and blesses you every day with an abundance of things that you can't even account, 
The God who sent His own Son to provide a sacrifice for your sins. This God loves you. Will you love Him back and show that love in humble obedience? Upon hearing God's truth, believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song. Danger at the door.